This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 859, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, boss. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 859. I am Josh Flanning, and I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. Hi there. It Hi. is the last regular show, the last normal weekly Pick of the Week standard format that you all know and love of the year, 2022. You know, people ask us, Josh. They do. Hey, Josh. They say, uh, uh, hey, why do you keep hitting these messages over and over again? It's because people say, hey, what's on the show this week? And we're like, there's, there's no show this week. So... We have to keep hitting it over and over again because that's because you know it's just the way it is. That's fine. God, Connor cares. He wants to make sure people know. Yeah, I just let you all float around in the ocean. I'm <laughs> fine. But that's how this works. This is a symbiotic relationship. Josh is Kate Winslet on the door, and you are all Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio drowning, and I'm somewhere else. Or you're the, you're the drunk guy on the you're you're the guy you are the dude on the who's like we're gonna keep playing. I think that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna you want to keep playing the music? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I had to really struggle because I haven't I haven't seen that movie since like the theater. Sure. And and that movie, here we go. That I rem- I sat I had to sit in the front because it was so popular and it was like the old old school theaters and like I was at the front way on the left, so I watched it like. Oh wow! Yeah. You know what's great about this is we have a lot to do on the show, and yet here we are talking about Titanic. I I saw it. You know, obviously when it came out, but then again they they put it out. Maybe it was the twentieth anniversary or thirtieth or whatever it was. Many years ago, and I saw it at the the Dome here in L.A., and it was awesome. Yeah. That big screen, it was great. It's a great movie. I don't understand why they still have seats up front. Yeah. No one wants them. No one. Anyway, we're going to talk about the pick of the week, which is a comic (laughs) book, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about other books from the week. We might talk about what position we were in when we were reading. Sometimes I just hold my comics up (laughs) and to the right, very close to my face. Feels very comfortable for you. Yeah, I, I just I just think it, it adds something to it. That's actually very similar to the seat I had for Batman '89 mm-hmm. because you know it was so, so popular. Sure, it didn't have the signed seats, and you know we waited in line forever. And I think the best we could do was like the I think second row all the way on the left. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I bought tickets to go see John Cleese do a Q and A after a showing of the Holy Grail, mm-hmm. and I went, "Oh, I'm going to get tickets right up front. I want to see him." <laughs> Couldn't see the damn movie. <laughs> There's a spoiler warning. <laughs> oh boy! Gonna, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna make this one fun. That's close. This one's gonna be fun. We're gonna go long. We're gonna be loose. It's the last one. We don't care. We're gonna talk about the pick of the week. We're gonna talk about other books. Like I said, spoilers is a patron pick. You know, we have listener mail. We're gonna see how that goes. I'm not. I'm not gonna promise you, Connor. You had the pick this week. I did. And also, Mike Romo and I sat in the second row for. <laughs> Black Widow <laughs> at the premiere because that was the best we could. That kind of helped. Uh, where, where are we? All right, it's the pick of the week time. Yeah. Hey kids, but the pick of the week this week was Batman One Hundred and Thirty by Chip Zdarsky, Jorge Jimenez, Tomu Moray, and Clayton Cowles. You know, it's funny because the overall story of this arc. This is the final issue of the initial arc of Chip Zdarsky on Batman, and the overall story has been, I mean. 
to be fair, kind of a convoluted mess. It's all about this basically Batman Terminator robot that apparently Bruce created with one of his disassociative personalities that we never talk about. That sounds like the best idea. Like Zarin Ra, you know, like his whole like Grant Morrison thing where if, if oh. Batman is compromised, he needs to be an even tougher Batman. And then that Batman decided, well, if I'm compromised, then we need this robot that'll take me out. And so he's been fighting this Terminator robot version of himself. You know, they brought in Superman. Superman got defeated by it. Other heroes got defeated by it. So now it's been like, you know, Batman on the edge of survival kind of story against this robot that has no remorse and does not care and does not negotiate. This issue taken as a sort of a standalone story was so much fun. Even if I'm not overly enjoying the robot stories. I'm assuming you did not read this because you have not been reading this book. That's correct. Okay, so. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It opens up and Batman was in space in a ship and it got destroyed. And the cliffhanger of the last issue was he was floating free in space. And so the opening is good. two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of Batman being his Batman self and surviving a free fall from space. And it was really fun and inventive and comic booky and silly. You know, like he gets to the wreckage, he he cuts off uh, with his you know torch like a, a piece of the hull, uses it as sort of surf down to the atmosphere, and then you know all the different things Batman does in his head, the calculations, the science, all of the stuff to survive reentry using his costume and using this piece of metal, and and then he lands you know with a splat in snow. And, you know, stands up and there's like a really cool shot. Who are him in is is terrific. There's a really cool shot of him, you know, standing up and looking determined. It was just an awesome opening sequence. And then the overall thing, though, is that Chip Zdarsky's B theme of this book has been the importance of Robin and the importance of Tim Drake. There was incidents earlier in the storyline where the robot wanted Bruce to sacrifice Tim because he's just a soldier. And soldiers can be sacrificed. And that caused Bruce to yell at the robot, he's not a soldier, he's my son. There's been a lot of really satisfying moments like that for Tim Drake, who has been sidelined by Damien, basically, in the overall scheme of things. But here, he and Tim are hiding out in this Fortress of Solitude because Superman's been recuperating there because the, the robot kicked his ass. And he says, basically, this thing's designed to defeat Batman, but it doesn't stand a chance against Batman and Robin. And there's a cool shot of them both putting on their cowls and capes in mirror images, and they go off to battle together. And it's just very satisfying as a fan of that team that just doesn't really happen anymore. Batman and Robin in general, but also Batman and Tim Drake specifically. And, you know, you have a final battle against this robot outside the Fortress of Solitude, and it seemingly kills Bruce. But we know he's not dead. He's been zapped away somewhere into an alleyway. We don't know exactly what alleyway that is, but Tim thinks he's dead, and the robot thinks he's done his job, so now he is done with his mission. It's been a weird arc, but it's been a fun one. It's mostly about this relationship between Bruce and Tim and also just absolutely fabulous Jorge Jimenez art. It's just been incredible. Really enjoying it. It was a weird way to start a new arc from a new writer. You know, like Chip Zdarsky's big name, big splashy debut. I don't want to say rescuing the book because, you know, Josh Williamson did an okay job. But it was just, it wasn't the book it was before. It wasn't the big flashy flagship DC book in terms of people talking about it all the time how long was williamson on it he's on it in a good while i thought before him was the um the screenwriter john ridley john Ridley. no that he was on his own batman book oh i see he's got his own black batman book okay i also want to mention there's been a backup story and this one is 
uh, also written by Chip Zdarsky, and it's uh, really fun, drawn in sort of a Dick Sprang style, drawn by Leonardo Romero, who's great. The idea here is that Batman added the yellow oval around his logo because of Zaren Ra, because he likes color. He's a very fashion-forward Batman. I never understood Zaren Ra. I remember when it happened, I was I was like... I, I don't, I, I don't okay. either. I, 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 it, makes me it's been so bad. long, too. I, the details are gone from my brain, so I'm barely clinging on my fingernails with it. If I recall correctly, people can correct us if we're wrong. I'm sure we are. But it was a dissociative personality of Batman, so that was like the more hardcore Batman. But somehow dressed more flamboyantly. Maybe the more hardcore Batman is more free to express himself sartorially. I feel like it probably wasn't that confusing, but a part of my brain went, you don't need to know this. <laughs> like I, I really, I think that my, I just went, you're not going to like it. It's not, don't, don't put the time into it. Again, you know, subjective. Sure. <laughs> If you put aside the, uh, the machinations of the storyline, which are not bad, it's just not as much fun as I was hoping when I announced Jim Zdarsky was going to be the new writer. This particular issue was really fun from a sort of standalone issue storyline from the James Bond-esque opening of Batman surviving a f- space freefall to his team up with Tim Drake and his realizing that he needed to be a team with Robin to defeat this thing was, was good. And I'm hoping that the next storyline, the next arc, is a bit more of a back-to-basics Batman story, but we'll see. We'll see. Who knows what the edicts are from various places around DC. But I'm enjoying it. I really am enjoying the book, and this particular issue was terrific. Let's talk about the final issue of Do a Powerbomb, issue seven, from Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer and Russ Wooten. I thought for sure, for I thought this will probably be his pick of the week. I was pretty sure about it, but, but go on. You know, it was good. It, we talked about how this miniseries has raised the stakes and raised the stakes and raised the stakes and raised the stakes until the point where cliffhanger for issue six into issue seven was that the the heroes of this book the two the two wrestlers the tag team of father-daughter combination who are wrestling in order to have their dead mother slash wife resurrected by this necromancer the cliffhanger was they were going to wrestle god right the mm-hmm. whatever the personification of god is there's nowhere to go from there that's as far as you can raise the stakes <laughs> yeah and so this was the final wrestling match against god and it was you know as well drawn as daniel warren john this whole book Oh, you know, it has been just amazing, and the action sequences and the their suplexes and the, the power bombs and you know the the double drops and everything you want out of a giant wrestling match against God looked amazing. I thought the ending was really sweet. Yeah, they don't get to have her resurrected, but God does unlock a memory in the daughter of a conversation she had with her mother when she was young. The mother saying, I'll always be watching over you. And then we pull back and pull back and pull back and see that the mother is in the stance and she's been watching the wrestling tournament. And she says, that's my girl. It was very sweet. Yeah, I think that's sort of what I came out with it was, is that <laughs> this is gonna, the sentence, I started to say the sentence like, this is going to sound weird. Like, God's not the bad guy. No. Like, it's a little bit of a deus ex machina is that. Literally. Like, they, <laughs> they go up against God and you're like, are they going to beat him? And no, no, they're not. Right. You know, at the end, the resolution is sort of like, yeah, but you put up a good fight, and I respect that. You know, <laughs> here's, here's you're not going to get what you want, but here's this other thing. And and by the way, from a structure story standpoint, like having them do that and then fail at it as the rug keeps getting pulled out from under them and then giving them what they want anyway isn't satisfying for no. some reason. It doesn't make sense. It's what you want, but it would have been so boring had they just given them what they wanted the whole time. It's interesting, too, because wrestling is, in a way, a fantasy. Yeah, not in a way. It is. Well, right. So what I'm saying, though, is that so then their fantasy, they're living out their fantasy, and then the demon or whatever he is, his fantasy is to see all this, 
And they think doing this will give us the impossible, will return to us. And again, as those stakes getting raised, like, we're up against God. If anybody can do it, this guy can, except he can't. You know, you just get the memory of it. You just get the thought. That's all you get to take away from anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the author was that thoughtful about it. This book could be valuable on its own just for the comic book storytelling. Yes. If that only. That's all. Off the charts. Off the charts. You know, just using the the full extent of the pages and representing movement and energy in a way that is rare. That is a rare talent. But if you go further and you start thinking about like what the story means and does and the different ways that you can look at it, it is deeper than it appears. I think. Oh, for sure. Because we can, I can have this conversation. I can talk to you about it. I think that level of consideration has been present in all of his work. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that's exactly in there. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be in there. Beta Ray Bill was super deep. That's true. Wonder Woman Dead Earth was super deep. He puts a lot of consideration to what, I mean, he's he's one of the top people making comics right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm you know, when he first announced this, I was like, oh, he's doing a wrestling book. Yeah. Fine. Like, I guess I'm not super excited for that. I'm not a big, I haven't watched wrestling since I was a kid, but. I think at the time I saw it, I've been, I've been watching a lot of shows about wrestling, like the Heels show on Stars and Young Rock and things. But I just wasn't excited for it. But once I read the first issue, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm in. Like, he could write a story about anything and I'll, I'll be in now. You know, yeah. just no one's doing this level of dynamic art. I know we keep saying it every time, but there's that's just what it is. It's the most dynamic art in comics. It's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. I just keep looking at these pages of people getting slammed into the mat. It's just like, oh, my goodness. You can feel every minute of it. He does just enough exaggeration on movement and things to – but someone who really, really understands art and anatomy that can do all this stuff. Absolutely. And just, you know, like the best of every artist. Speaking of wrestling shows, fighting with my family, I had no idea that was Florence Pugh. Oh, yeah, no yeah. I watched that movie too. Yeah. I did too, but I saw it a while ago and I was like looking up IMDb. I was like, wait, that was her? Anyway, <laughs> just just on the side. Oh, boy. I'm sure it was just like that. I'm sure it happened just that way. It is. I mean, the movie. Oh, sure. No, I don't Disney-fied think so. version of Becoming a Wrestler. I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. So Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo book two. This is actually a great segue. I think this is still really fun and I'm still really enjoying it. Uh, Mark Silvestri on the writing and the art. And this time we actually get a credits page so we know who did what. What's interesting is that like I saw it and I thought, I don't want to read this. And then I went, Josh, you really actually enjoyed that last one. (laughs) Because there's actually, you put a Joker in a title and I go, but what's interesting is that there's also another Joker book right now, which is Matt Rosenberg's Joker, the man who stopped laughing. And the stories are not that dissimilar. There's a fake Joker somewhere and, mm. and he wants to go get him. It's just almost the same thing, but they're actually both good Joker books. Yeah. But it is the same way of what we were talking about last week is that it's surprisingly good. I cannot overemphasize the fact that we're talking voluntarily about the second issue of a Mark Silvestri written and drawn Batman and Joker team-up book. And to me, like, it's not even the art. We talked about the art last time about how his style has gotten really interesting. But it's the writing that, to me, that I'm really surprised by. I don't know if I should be. The guy's been making comics for 40 years. But I thought this was really well written. And I thought it was really interesting and fun. And because it's a black label book and it's out of continuity, anything can happen. Jim Gordon's been kidnapped and he gets a finger removed as a proof of kidnapping kind of thing. And, you know, he's got his finger cut off because it's not the main book. So there's there's a lot of stakes here because it's a black label book. There's no rules. The mystery of the vampire, joker, zombies, whatever they are, mm-hmm. it's kind of a scientific 
explanation right. of it and it's one that doesn't make sense and there's the they have this like tooth and it's growing and there's carbon fiber in it and mm. there's like a page which is all word balloons basically mm. f- from the cave and and I'm looking at it now and I was like I don't remember that happening because I was <laughs> interested in reading it yeah and you've got Joker they took him to the cave which I was like that's a weird thing but then mm. they completely you know zip him up in this noise proof bondage mask <laughs> with the actual zippers by the way that's fucked up yeah. and, and he's just making noise like he's he's a funny joker in this you know he's dangerous but you don't know where he's coming from you think is he actually going to be helpful or we had alfred and dick grayson and we add selena kyle to the mix and i I really liked the scene on the roof with bullock where you know batman goes to meet with him because gordon's been kidnapped that's what we find out by the finger and batman's gonna basically you know pull the his bullshit i'm not gonna give you any information i'm gonna walk away moment and he's like hey we're not friends but i think i've earned the right to be involved here bullock says Mm mm-hmm I thought that was a really good scene. Like, I'm not your buddy, but we've worked together for years. Like, I've never treated you wrong. Like, you got to let me in here. Yeah. That was good. I really like that. I think this is really good. I'm surprised. I'm a little surprised. You're not wrong. No, it's it's a it's a fine book. <laughs> it's. I mean, I think it, it goes to show sort of the lack of Batman that I've wanted to read. Oh, totally. This is classic. That's why so many of these Black Label books resonate, because they almost feel more classic than the actual books do. The right, actual incontinuity books do. The ongoing books are trying to reinvent something that... Didn't need it. Yeah, kind of not necessarily. Didn't not, need it. Sometimes it is easier to have a whole new take than the person who gets to come in and go, I'm going to tell a classic Batman story. Sure. If there was no contrast, maybe this wouldn't be as enjoyable. I don't know. But at the same time, like, why not put a story like this in the main book? That's the, the question I keep asking. Do a run... I know why. I, like, I know why, because trade sales books market all that stuff but ultimately i don't think it matters to book customers whether it's in continuity or part of the main book no so just bolster that just make that as good as possible and the main book's good like pick of the week but like sure it's still very much mired in all the things that mire the the modern batman and this particular issue almost felt away from that whereas Mm -hmm. this series the deadly duo series it just feels like and look, it's e- I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not I'm not making excuses for Mark Sylvester, but it's easier almost just to come in with no restrictions and just say, I'm going to tell Absolutely. my classic Batman story than it is to have to deal with what's going on in the DC universe and what's come before you and Bruce has no money and blah, blah, blah. So if he just comes in and says, here's my classic Batman that could take place at any time, that's easier from a conceptual standpoint. The other big thing is you don't know what's going to happen. Like right. the rules do not apply. And that as a reader is much more exciting. Jim Gordon's head could be in a box the next issue. Which is, by the way, that's why it's not in the main book, I guess. Because it would sort of neuter it. The only thing really in that is Gordon getting a finger chopped off. Everything else could be in the main book. If they well, really I mean, to be. they took off Alfred's hand. And they, I mean, they did all that stuff in the main book. So Yeah, but now he's good. He's dead again. They didn't bring him. I know. I know. It's all right, man. I don't want to talk about it. Right before the holidays, Josh. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. I, that's my the fault. Cold, the cold knife right in my chest. <laughs> Fantastic Four 695 and I find it amusing that they keep rebooting these volumes right before the big anniversary issues it's like every comic like Daredevil happened with Daredevil happened with some, another book it's like they go like three issues in suddenly they they go back to the old number for one issue anyway this is the second issue with Ryan North and Iban Coelho the new team on Fantastic Four and this is another basically single issue story one shot one and done whatever you want to call it Last time it was Thing and Alicia. It was for Pick of the Week. This time it's Reed and Sue dealing with Doombots. It's a weird way to start a new run yes. of a book that's about a family. 
However, <laughs> just like that last issue, I love this issue. This probably would have been my pick of the week. Oh, wow. Two in a row for you. Because it surprised. It mm-hmm. was not what I expected. I, I had to be like, wait, what happened? And I was like, uh, no, the last one was Thing and Alicia. And then there was a thing at the end, like something happened. We don't know what it is. The big hole in the ground. Reed yeah. and Sue are, are out in the world. And we get a really sweet and unexpected Doombot story that is not about fighting and good and evil. It's like about the one good thing Doom did. And then how it spun out of control in a way, but one that wasn't necessarily destructive. If I had one criticism... It's that it's very, very similar to the last issue in that it's about people living in a, not a fantasy land in the last issue, but living Fair. sort of out of time. Mm-hmm. And this issue is about these Doombots who are living this sort of fantasy life. And it's not a major criticism. It's just that it's very, very similar sort of sort of thematically to the last issue. Maybe that's on purpose. I think it's valid, but at the end, it, it doesn't matter if it's compelling. And, and I, I did not have any concept of what the story would be and where it was going and what it would do. But what it did do was successfully avoid what I would consider to be cliche. You know, like it didn't do what, you know, comic books going to end with a fight. You go after the bad guy. And that's, that's not what happened. It was a one and done, you know, mostly issue where they had to like work a thing out and be smart. There's a couple bits here where Sue Storm can be the forgotten member of the team sometimes. Literally, she's invisible. Right, and they break out into like, it's kind of a fight, but not really, but they had to use their powers to solve problems. And I was like, I haven't seen just Mr. Fantastic stretch and do stuff. They don't ever use him like that anymore. Right, he's, he's just the guy in the, in the lab. Right, or, or you know, with the big thinking or the whatever, and sometimes yeah. like that causes his stretching. But it was this, and then we had just done, the, on the Namor Talks book, we just did, like there was a scene where he used his powers to solve a problem, and... and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then she was walking. I was like, these characters are using their powers. And it hasn't been that in such a long time. Even in that wonderful Dan Slot run that we loved, it was more about the talking and the problem solving. Mm-hmm. And this was just, you put us in a place and Doombots are funny. And I, I loved it. I, I Ryan North, you know, perfect compliment to that last great run so far. So the, the whole thing was the Doombot was programmed to protect this old this woman, right? That was what it was. Who was nice to Doom when he was a kid. Right. Or when, yeah, when he first got to school. He creates like a little Doombot community around this old woman to protect her. And I don't want to spoil the reveal, but the reveal was like kind of shocking. That page turn. It's like, oh. Yes. Shit. Yeah, I agree. It was, so it was like this Doombot small town kind of that was around this old woman who thought they were all real people, but they were actually Doombots. I think it was a perfect issue just on its own merit, like the artwork for it, the story, the characterization was really good. It was delightful. Johnny Storm next month. Yeah. I, and I'm going to forget when that comes to him. Mean, what's going on here? <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Next up is what is turning out to be one of my favorite books, <laughs> Predator number five. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about it because in the last time four came out, I had forgotten that I'd read one uh-huh. and enjoyed it. And so you reminded me of that. So I went back this past week and I read two through four and now I'm in five after when it came out. And 
It's fucking great. And the thing is, it's it's Ed Brisson, Kev Walker. Kev Walker's art's tremendous. It's not that dissimilar from Alien, ultimately, no. right? These stories. And they're not that dissimilar from each other. It's basically humans encounter either the Predator or the Xenomorph. One human knows the danger. The other humans are not prepared for what they're facing. Mm-hmm. Or they just blow it off. And then they most of them die. And that's fine. That's the formula for these stories. Predator's a bit more nuanced because it's not quite the unstoppable xenomorph killing machine. It's a it's a hunter character, and you can you know do more things with that. Alien protagonists tend to be groups of humans, and this is mm-hmm. sort of one person, and the other people are. Anyway, I mean, you, you, well, this you one know. it's more. This one felt more like Alien because she's on a ship, and sure, you know, the protagonist who was a child when they first encountered the predator, and or a predator, the predator killed her family, so she has been spending her adult life hunting down predators and killing them. And she's killed, I don't know, like six or seven, how many skulls she's got in her wall. A bunch. But she is discovered by this crew because she is using this ship that her parents had. And it was, you know, it's, it's company property. Mm-hmm. And so they reclaim the ship and they capture her in the brig. And they're like, we've got to take you back to Earth because even though we're, we're sympathetic to you, we know who you are. You still, you're driving a still one ship. And so she's like, okay, but you're all going to die. <laughs> and... <laughs> The predator shows up at the end. I thought it was ter- this arc's been terrific. It really, yeah. Been. This this issue was the sort of turning point, you know, where she runs into the rest of the world that she had left behind, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and it's not just her ship; it's been her home. The ship has an AI that she has a relationship with, right? And also, she's sort of been out in the wilderness for. She's a Robinson Crusoe in a way, you know. She hasn't had much contact with folks. It was unexpected, and again, I, I Kev Walker. Mm-hmm. He, he's an automatic buy for me, almost no matter what book he's doing. And he's been perfect on this. It's been great. Brisson with a really strong story. What a surprise. Six issue minutes. The next issue is the final one. And mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying this Predator and Aliens books. Crazy. I know we shouldn't group them together, but we do. Well, they kind of go together. I feel like the licenses for them travel together. And they were in a movie together, weren't they? <laughs> and several comics. There you go. So I was all set to go this week, Josh. I had my pull list. I was going to read books. And actually, on, on our Patreon Discord, we have a pull list discussion channel. And someone asked me if you know my initial pull list ever changes. Because they all published their pull list on Monday, what they're going to buy. And I, I don't normally do it. But I decided what the hell was the last week. So I put mine up there, too. And they were like, does it ever change from now till Wednesday? And I said, sure. Sometimes you know I'll see something I, I missed, which happened this week with the variants. Or Josh will say, you should read this, which happened this week with Thanos' death notes. And it wasn't. You telling me after the fact, you were like, look at this book on the list. It's got a crazy creative team. And I was like, oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> Just because I, I had my mental pull list in my head ready to go. And I sort of mentally blocked out my week and I had to add more books to it. But it's a good thing I read it because no, it doesn't tell you in the f- title. It doesn't say anywhere. This is a prelude to the issue of Thor that came out this week. The, sort of a new starting new storyline involving Thanos. Or Thanos? Is it Thanos? It's Thanos, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this was fine. It was a one-shot featuring several creative teams doing different short stories about Thanos and throughout his life. It took place at various points in the Marvel Universe. And I like the travel form in Christopher Cantwell, Iron Man 1, which took place sort of classic Iron Man suit. Yeah, that was a um, good story. The J. Michael Straczynski story was good as well, I thought. Yeah, yeah, with Jeff Shaw art, which was, which was excellent. Terrific Jeff Shaw art, He yeah. didn't have a chance to walk away from it and not finish it. <laughs> So, and also, I love seeing Ron Lim. Oh, didn't he look Ron great? Ron Lim is is how Thanos looks mm-hmm. in my mind. Like we talked about this in the, the name more books load. Like, what is the artist and what is the depiction of the character that lives in your mind's eye? And for me, it's Ron Lim with yeah. Thanos. 
and it looks great. I'm like, why isn't he working more? (laughs) The art lent itself to modern production really well. A lot of times it doesn't work that way, but it totally did in this. I was like, this is as good as anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with you. He did that Silver Surfer book a while back that we really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But uh, he should be working more, especially yeah. the Marvel Cosmic stuff. His stuff is great. But, you know, as a, as a book that was a bunch of stories relating Thanos and death, I thought this was fine. It had good stories. Nobody asked for it. Nobody really needed it. But it was a, it was a fun lark. Kyle Stark's story in there. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Well, it's also Kyle Stark's the Ron Lim one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good creative teams. So at the end of it, it says to be continued in Thor 29, which was the issue that came out this week. And I was like, well, that's a good thing I hadn't read that yet. In mm-hmm. fact, I was planning to read it a couple books later, but I jumped right into it. Thor 29 or 755, depending on how you feel about the world. And this was the new writer, or at least a new writer on this issue, Torin Grunbeck, who did the uh, co-writing on the Valkyrie book with Jason Aaron that we really enjoyed with Nick Klein on art. And we didn't like the last arc a lot. I drove Josh off the book. I don't think you read this issue. Mm, no. This was good. This was good. You didn't have to have the read of Thanos book, but it did give you a bit more to chew on. But this one kind of makes that Valkyrie character a co-lead. She was, you know, the lead of that Valkyrie book. Not Broomhild, but the uh, the one that's definitely not based on the movie character. Uh, sort of the co-lead in this issue. But, you know, Nick Klein's art is terrific. And, you know, Valkyrie and Thor are teaming up. And it's going to ultimately involve Thanos and death and all the things that you know, Thanos does. So I mean, it, it felt more like a return to form after that terrible previous arc. Over at Dark Horse, there was a, a number one called It's Only Teenage Wasteland. That's a uh, line from a Who song, uh, mm-hmm. Bob O'Reilly. And that grabbed my attention real quick and I kind of flipped through it. My first instinct when I was looking at it, it was, I was like, oh, this is uh, like Tyler Boss kind of art. Uh, and it kind of mm-hmm. looks like that. It starts off with the sort of first page is some other world where some guys in a weird cyber thing. And I don't know. And then he says, let's go back. And when we do that, it says once upon a time in the, the 20 fucking (laughs) twenties. And it's basically a story about some high school group of high school friends and they're not nerds and they're not popular kids. They're sort of in the middle. So they're a little nerdy and a little otherwise, and they hang out together and play video games and they each have distinct personalities and looks, which I like is very helpful. And, you know, the, the one kid's parents go away and they're going to throw a party. And there's all these just like little, you know, minor life and political conflicts and stuff that come up within the groups in the same way that any other teenage thing. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, you know, kind of simple in that way that the comics, I don't read them very much. And, and I'm like, don't throw a party. It's going to go wrong, you know, <laughs> and, and it, and it kind of does. But in a way that's actually really believable and not like overwrought. And there's, you know, relationships in here. I, I don't know, I really appreciated the way it was done. So it was a flashback to the post-apocalyptic stories? Right, and so, I, but I completely forgot about that first page. Mm. And then at the end, you know, everything goes white, and then he's in a weird world, and I was like, oh, right, I forgot about that. Which, I, you know, <laughs> given the strength of what had happened before it, I don't right. so much mind that. It was really strong. The only thing I would say is that they read more like teenagers from my life and our age. Gen Xers. Yeah, or maybe early millennials, but not necessarily kids now. I, like, there's a party, but literally no one's looking at their phone. I was like, nope. <laughs> you know? That just, I don't think they're well, actually one person's holding up. But I was like, I wouldn't even be able to decipher what the word balloons are saying in this if it was teenagers today. 
And and so, you know, that aside, you know, to me, it had what I would call a universal quality, but I thought it was just a little bit old, but it didn't matter. It worked, worked really. What's nice is that you can draw kids with mullets now and it can be in the 70s or 80s or it can be now and it doesn't need to matter. Oh, God. I enjoyed it a lot. It was surprising. Listen, I'm talking to you, all of our Gen Z listeners. I know there's so many of you out there. Mm-hmm. Turn back from the mullet while you still can. You have time. It was wrong then. <laughs> it's always it's been wrong. wrong now. Yep. Just yeah. Just true. heed my warning from old man Kilpatrick. Run from the mullet. It is so amazing that men's fashion has gone exactly back to what I consider the absolute worst time in my living <laughs> life. They're like, no, no, we want, we want pegged pants, mullets, and mustaches. And I was like, that's who, that's like the worst uncles. You learned all the wrong lessons, kids. Well, but the thing is, it makes sense because they would be rebelling against us. And therefore, by doing so, they've, they've taken the worst things that we, we found anathema. Fair enough. You're going to regret it just as we did. Yes. Those are the books we're going to talk about. But at patreon.com slash ifanboy, the patrons can add a book to the rundown. It's a patron pick. And this week, nobody wanted to win. There was at least five books that had first place for at least a portion of the voting period. It was a tight race. But at the end, Know Your Station, number one from Boom Studios, thundered forward like a great steed running down the final furlong and took the race by one vote. Know Your Station is written by Sarah Gailey, art by Liana Congas, colors by Rebecca Nolte. <laughs> is it? Is it a joke? No, lettered by Cardinal Ray. I don't know why I wrote Joe Caroline. <laughs> oh, I know why. Because he he was the male letterer on that image book. This appears to be an all-female creative team. It is. It is. In fact, every... Nope. There's one one variant cover by Francesco Francovia. But other than that... That's really funny. In my head, I was making a joke about how why wasn't Joe Carvagna lettering this book because he did that cat book. Uh, I can't think of the name. The joke went from my brain to the page. Anywho, this is a book about a floating uh, hub... A uh, floating space station space station for the ultra rich and or tech elite to live in because the earth has become less than desirable due to climate change. It's not dead. People still live there, but uh, it's not nice. So the rich people live in this, the first resort. And as a result, I have to say it is an excellent title. Know Your Station is a great title. It's a mm-hmm. quality title given the Mark Russellist ish sociopolitical nature of the thing and that they're on a space station and that was the first thing i was like i don't know why i've never heard this is this is a fantastic title correct and in the beginning we meet sort of the leaders of the station is organized by like corporation style yeah in the in the form of like a welcome uh, orientation video right so we meet the cto and the cso and all the c-suite people only to find that one of them has been murdered and the person in charge of security in the station, who isn't really even a cop, is more just a security liaison, has now have to investigate the murder with the help of a detective who has been brought up from Earth to investigate this serious crime. That's the basic premise of the book. I thought this was okay. I was hoping it would go deeper into the, I don't want to say satire, but into the situation. Mm-hmm. Deeper into the political and sociological commentary than it did. I liked it a lot. I don't tend to expect a lot out of things, but it mm-hmm. ended up being pretty straightforward, hard sci-fi, more mm-hmm. or less. I think the main character was interesting. Like she's struggling with, I guess, a kind of addiction to a stuff called blue, but it's not like illegal drugs. It's whatever. And she tries to get off it. And she's, you know, again, friends with an AI. Well, the ship's AI is constantly giving her these drugs that are 
It right. seems like they are like stimulants. They're basically like amphetamines. Well, she looks like hell in the first shot before, as she's trying to get off of it. Right. And then she quickly accepts it. So that's kind of an interesting thing. I liked the tone is that it was not Mark Russell as it wasn't really funny. No. And I was expecting it to be. No. And I, I think that worked. Then, you know, you, you have a mystery. You have a body horror mystery. Now, I, I will say I am right now in the midst of several body mutilation crime <laughs> stories. Like I am reading The Alienist, which uh-huh. is about that. I just finished a book on The Torso Killer. Mm-hmm. There was one other thing and I was like, oh, I'm really right in the wheelhouse for this. That sort of solving the mystery of somebody committing a ghastly, horrible, ugly crime. Did that Torso book come to the same conclusion as Bendis's book? I did? don't know. I just took it out. I'm going to read through oh, it okay. again. Bendis did real research for that book. Yeah. I talked yep. to him about it a long time ago before he was a, he was anybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, but anyway, I've been, I've been sort of uh, in that zone for a little while, and I don't know. Hit me at the right time. I got to the end of it, and I was like, "Wow, I was really into that." I really wanted to know sort of where it went. There's a twist at the end, and mm-hmm. I thought it was set up really well. The main character does some things and makes some choices, being led on by the AI that put her in a very bad position, and a thing that you don't expect to happen happened. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. The best joke, and this wasn't, again, a funny book, like you said, but the best joke was that the gum, the sort of nicotine gum, was called Quitting Time. <laughs> I thought everything was solid. You know, the art was solid, not great, not bad. Yeah, I agree with that. The story was solid, not great, not bad. I think this might be something that might benefit from further issues in terms of fleshing out the world and the story. I think that's hopefully the case. You know, I've read a lot of books like this. Mm-hmm. and did not come away as impressed as I usually did with this. It definitely was not bad. Yeah. At, it, at all. It reminds me a little of, only in the way that we're talking about it, that Texas blood, in that you're kind of not sure what to make of it. You don't know who any of the people are. You're like, well, mm-hmm. if they pull this off, this first issue's going to be better. Right. You know, as you go on. Uh, better in retrospect. You know, again, I didn't think it was bad. I don't expect anything out of a lot of these and, you know, I thought some dumb, you know, alien or, you know, supernatural thing was going to show up. And so far it hasn't. It's technology and human nature. And I don't think that's the world we live in here. This is just the future. Yeah. And they're on a space station. There's been a yep. murder. There's been cool. a murder. There's so many of these kind of sci-fi future books in comics right now. There's so many of them. Image does so many. and But they're rarely very good. And Dark Horse. And then they're mostly just kind of like fine. Right. And so I wasn't excited when this was the pick. I was like, okay, it's going to be another one of these sci-fi books. That I was going to tell you if it hadn't been the, the patron pick to read it. Okay. You know, like like it was it's worth it enough. I mean, it's a murder mystery. Right. And my, my point is when I was finished, I thought, okay, okay, that wasn't what I was expecting it to be. And yeah. that wasn't bad. And again, not a single person I've heard of working on it. I'm not damning it with faint praise. I'm just saying, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of these. You know, it's like so many fantasy books. Like every time I read a new fantasy book, I'm like, okay. Yeah. And when it's good, I'm like, oh, okay, that was a good one. Yeah. I think this was a good sci-fi one. It was solid. I didn't love it, but I'm interested in the second issue to see what happens next. Yep. So that's good. Well, if they did their work, you know, they outlined it, they know what the story is, you know, and, and that was strong, then I, I think it, it can only get better from there. Ratings on Know Your Station, number one out of five stars ratings. I'm, I'm going to give it a solid four. So mine's going to sound a little low, but only because I think this is just what this particular issue is. It's a, I'm giving it a 3.25. That's fine. It's a little better than a 3. It's, for me, it's not a 4. 
my four has to do with a subjective expectation. Sure, of, well, it's all subjective. I, I think also that number, as you said, could in retrospect, be go higher depending on how the story goes. Yep. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Every patron can vote to add a book to the rundown for the patron pick. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's talk about the patron powers. So if you're a patron at patreon.com slash ifanboy, patron of the show, we're in the patron section of the show. If you give it a $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show. It's always live. We never pre-record these. These are not recorded in studio earlier. We don't put a little asterisk saying recorded earlier. This is all live. Yeah. To tape. <laughs> well, it's, it's not like one of those things that we're going to just stamp something in. So today, uh, the power goes to Shireen Al-Kathiri. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the robot AI butchered that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I use this, but you okay. <laughs> tell me. I will right. say, I looked and I saw the letter J next to that, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had a physical sensation of falling, because I haven't done it in a while, because of the way that we're doing it now. Sure. So, who knew? Shreen can stop people from saying a bad joke just before they say it. Oh. If the thing that's about to come out of the person's mouth is embarrassing, or offensive, or just bad they know shireen's they like a, an tell alert it's about to happen spider sense yeah there are various ways to stop it from happening a redirection is often the best way an interruption a distraction not a mind control thing but there's a nudge there's a there's a jedi like nudge to stop it from happening because it's not going to do anyone any good right i could use one of those <laughs> hmm. yes yes you could <laughs> Listen, sometimes you go on the edge. You try to you try to figure it out. People write in afterwards. I said, I don't know, man. It's improv. You're not supposed to think about it. But, you know, would have saved Michael Richards' career. See, I had a response to what you just said, but, but my Shireen said, nope. Yeah. People might not know you're joking. That's <laughs> It's my greatest strength and weakness, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> That's a good power. Shireen so. would have a great career as a, at least producing this show. <laughs> Basically, a public relations agent just always stands beside the celebrity. No, 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 no. <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thanks, everyone who's a patron throughout the year. And we hope those who gave the $5 higher level uh, enjoyed their powers. We don't guarantee uh, you'll be satisfied, but hopefully you enjoyed it. And by the way, it's only bad jokes. If you're just going to say some dumb shit. Right. Serene's not going to help Kanye. That's not. Right. It's people who are joking. Correct. Yeah. Let's do a new segment. Well, it's not new, but new for this year. It's our yearly year-end segment where we look back at 2022 through the numbers with the stats. For the Picks of the Week, it's called Picks of the Week by the Numbers. We used to do this as a written article on the website back when we did articles, and now we do it as a quick segment on the show. I don't, I don't know if we did it last year or not. I think we did. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. We did. So here we go. I'm not going to go through everything in detail, but I'm going to give you the overall stats and then quiz Josh and some questions on this. So here we go. This year, like last year, Josh, we had 49 picks of the week. Who had the most? Me? You had the most. You had 20. I always have the most. No, last year I had more, but it's fine. Really? 
You had 20, I had 17, Ryan had 11, and Jim Viscardi had one. Well, to be fair, I, and I gave Jim mine, so that should have been mine, too. We spread it out through seven publishers, Marvel and DC Tide, with 19 each. Image had seven, Dark Horse had two, Ahoy had one, Comixology had one, and IDW had one. Josh, of your 20 picks, you had five different publishers. Ten for Marvel, six for DC, two for Image, one for Abstract Studios. Wait, that's wrong. Uh-oh. Yours is Ahoy. Sorry, that's Ahoy. One for Ahoy and one for... Uh, Ahoy, Ahoy. I had four publishers, nine for DC, five for Marvel, two for Image, one for Dark Horse. And uh, was it the Ahoy and... You know what? It might have been Ahoy and Abstract were switched. One of those two. Either Ahoy or Abstract got a pick of the week. I I definitely... One of the Abstracts is definitely me. Okay, so it was Abstract on Ahoy. So Ahoy was last year. I I had a lot to do this week, and I might have missed that. Connor's a little off. I'm going to tell you, everyone at home is... He's normally blocked down. He's buttoned down. He's allergies, cold, a lot of work. Apocalypse. Ryan had four publishers, five for Marvel, four for DC, one for Image, one for Dark Horse, Jim Biscardi had one DC pick. This year we had 10 writers who won multiple picks of the week award. Do you want to guess? There was a tie for top. Do you want to guess who the two writers were? Zadarsky's going to be up there, mm-hmm. I think. Dan Slott? No, no, no. actually, no. Dan Slott had a one this year. Oh. Well, this year, the top two writers were Chip Zdarsky, as you said, had five picks of the week. Mark Wade. And Tom King had five. Oh, yeah. Duh. That was stupid. <laughs> Rainbow Rowell came in second with four. Tom Taylor had three. And then all these writers had two. Christopher Cantwell, Jason Aaron, Joshua Williamson, Mike Mignola, although he was story by, we counted it. Peter David had two, and Zeb Wells had two. Mm-hmm. And then we had 30 writers who... Uh, each had one pick of the week. Anthony Falcone, Armando Iannucci, Brian Michael Bendis, Chris Condon, Dan Slott, Danny Warren Johnson, David Boer, Johnny Cates, Jerry Duggan, Hochi Anderson, James Tini in the fourth, Jimmy McKelvey, Jeremy Adams, Jim Rugg, Jonathan Hickman, Carla Pacheco, Kelly Thompson, Kurt Busick, Mark Russell, Mark Wade, Michael Cho, Neil Gaiman, Olivier Vatine, Rick Remender, Roy McCanville, Declan Shalvey, Ryan North, Simon Spurrier, Scotty Young, and Terry Moore. I like that spread. It's not like they're always picking this guy. You know, in the old days, it was like, you're always picking Bendis. Right. Huh. Yeah, it was Abstract Studios, not Ahoy, because we had that one Terry Moore book. Artists. Do you want to guess who the top artist was? There was one uh, artist who had the more than others. His name is escaping me, but but uh, Human Target. That's right. Greg Smallwood Greg had Smallwood. four picks of the week. Greg Smallwood. John Romita Jr. had three. Carmine Diagomenico had two. Herman Peralta had two. Jorge Mendes had two. Leo Max had two. Marco Cicero had two. And Roger Antonio had two. And then we had 45 artists. You don't have to read them. I'm not going to read them all. 45 artists who had one pick. We had some anthology books. We had some books with multiple yeah. artists on them. There was one series to rule them all. One series had more picks than any other. It's, it's technically our book of the year, as we go, as we call it, by the most picks. I'm sure you'll know what the answer to that one is. Human Target. The Human Target had four picks. Have we all picked that? You and me and Viscardi all picked it. Oh, Ryan hasn't picked it? He would I don't know if Ryan... Them. I'd have to look. I didn't break. I didn't list them all by, by person, but... That's a different spreadsheet. Yeah, that's fine. And I don't have that open in front of me. What was I? Oh, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, Batman, Batman the Knight, Maestro, World War M, and Rogues all had two picks of the week. Those are all the books that had more than one picks of the week. It was only seven books. Carmine DiGian Domenico. Just yeah. wanted to get that right one more time. <laughs> seven books were picked more than once. That means that 32 other books were single-time picks of the week. And how many were number ones? Ten. That's not that bad. I have that stat here. Ten books were number one. Batman won Bad Day, Mr. Freeze, which is a special. Batman, Superman, World's Finest, Captain Carter, Damn Them All, Do a Powerbomb, Hulk, Grand Design Monster, 
Justice League 2022 Annual, Namor, The Submariner, Conquered Shores, Parker Girls, and She-Hulk. So other than She-Hulk, most of those aren't legacies. It's like they're true number ones. Correct. Or they're specials or annuals. Right. That's That counts. Interesting. Yeah, and that was interesting. It was more of a spread. It was fewer number ones than normal. I think it was almost half the number we did last year. Yeah, that's because that that tends low. From I would think we did. We always do a lot of them just because it's look at this shiny thing. I'm going to read out these series that got picked just because it's interesting to see all the different books that were picked, other than the multiple picks. So, Amazing Fantasy, Avengers Forever, Batman One Bad Day, Mister Freeze, Batman Superman World's Finest, Captain Carter, Captain Marvel, Damn Them All, Daredevil, Dark Knights of Steel, DC versus Vampires, Deceased War, The Undead Gods, Do a Power Bomb, Fantastic Four, The Flash, Hellboy and the BPRD, Night of the Cyclops, Hellboy and the BPRD, Old Man Whittier, Hulk Grand Design Monster, Iron Man, Joe Hill's Reign, Justice League 2022 Annual, King Conan, Namor, The Submariner, Conquered Shores, Nightwing, Parker Girls, The Scumbag, Spider Woman, Strange Academy Finals, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, Superman, Space Age, That Texas Blood, Thor, Time Before Time. Those were all the picks of the week. A nice spread. I think so. I assume that when you read it, it was either going to be all Marvel or all DC because that's what you guys like. Well, like I said, we had 19 Marvel, 19 DC, seven image, I, two I, dark horse. I mean, the perception that we hear. Depending oh, I on see. That you guys only like Marvel and you hate DC. Clearly, no. I think image is slightly clawing its way back. I mean, it, you know, it's not as much as in the past. Seven is not bad out of 49. I also think that they're being cannibalized in a way. That actually is good for them, meaning that some people are taking these books that they would have no choice but to bring to Image to Boom or Comic Solid. Oh, for sure. Or IDW or even, you know, guys who would have done that before. Like, now they're going to get a chance to do a black label book, you know, where you don't see the big folk doing Image as much as they used to. I think there's definitely books happening at Boom, like Jason Aaron's book, or happening at Comicsology, like all those Scott Snyder books. Yep. yep. That would have been Image books. I mean, he's got one at IDW. He's got one at Dark Horse. The the right. Night of the Ghoul wrapped up this week. That's at Dark Horse. Right. Yeah. I think it was a good spread, though. Good year. Sure. Clearly, it's the human targets here. That's fine. Yes, that's fine. So there you go. There's the picks of the week by the number of 2022. Let's move on to... We're not even over. Not over. Crazy. Oh, we actually not too bad on time, actually. Let's move on to but some emails. Let's see how many we can get done. John S wrote in and said, I've been thinking about this since the end of the Sang Kong War and wondering what your thoughts are in the right mix of real world and fictional people, places, and history and comics. When does it fit and when does it just feel weird? For me, I don't mind fictional presidents or countries like Latveria, but fictional wars drive me crazy. Likewise, I love Marvel using real cities like New York, but cameos by real people or brands annoy me. The only time I think it works is, as an example, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch's original Ultimates when the real world people were part of the story. I don't think there's one right answer. No. I think for everybody, it's going to be a different amount that makes it okay, depending on your view of history, your knowledge of history, your way that it relates. I think it works better in comics than it does in motion picture. One of my great bugaboos in the world is when real reporters report on fake things in movies. I hate that. I think mm. it's going to affect the historical record someday. I'm just going to talk about examples, I guess, because right now I haven't made up my mind. I always like it when the president in Marvel books is the real president. There was a there was yeah. a book this week. Who was Joe Biden was turned into a vampire or something? <laughs> I forget. Like they just they didn't show him. They didn't say his name, yeah. but they showed like the teeth. And I was like, that's Joe Biden's teeth. And right. like he had been compromised. Maybe it was in Secret Invasion. Probably. Yeah. Something like that. Scroll. Yeah, I think he's a scroll. 
I think what you said is exactly right. It all depends. There's no like standard. I think that's right. I think, you know, Marvel, as we know, compared to DC, lives more in the real world. There are fake countries like Latveria or you know, Madripoor or whatever, but it basically lives in the real world. The president's always the president in the real world in Marvel. Right. And DC has just as many real cities, but they have more fake cities and it's never the real president in DC. But the only time it really, really bothers me is like when superhero comics have 9-11 be a thing that happened. That really doesn't work for me. I don't know if it's because I lived through it, but you know, there's no way the heroes would allow that to happen. And it just doesn't serve anybody to have that in there. Yeah. And I mean, if you start taking in all the real world stuff that's actually happened, like, thank goodness the pandemic didn't happen in the comic book world. Right. Thank right. goodness, you know, a 9-11 shouldn't have happened. The school shootings, those kind of things, because they... Special issue you want to you want to do a thing where people tell stories and use a character for whatever reason. Like I get that, that's fine. I'm a little more iffy when it comes to the fake war, the fake place, Sian Kong replacing the Vietnam right. War. I think at the time that those came out originally, when everything was the Vietnam War, Frank Castle had been in the Vietnam War. It made more sense. Now, in a more global world, making one country or people the bad guy in something doesn't fly and i actually don't mind it being replaced i don't know if they were the bad guy necessarily but well, you know what i mean we talked about this at the time when we reviewed mark wade's history of the marvel universe that sort of reset the timeline i understand i get it you can't have frank castle be a veteran of vietnam war and run around as a punisher he's he, you know it just doesn't work so i understand it. it just i feel like it lessens it you know we grew up you know josh and i were born two years after the end of the vietnam war and almost every adult male throughout our childhood was affected in some way by it. You know, every movie was almost, almost every movie that, you know, had something to say was something about the Vietnam war, at least even if it wasn't uh, explicitly about it, it was partially about it. Comics were about it. The GI Joe comic, the, the book, the comic about the Vietnam war. I mean, half the Marvel characters were affected by it. Like it was something that was so prevalent for various reasons in the culture that it couldn't, you it couldn't help but seep into the entertainment. And so, Mm -hmm. The, it's not surprising that just as much as the 1940s comics were about the World War II, the comics of the 70s and 80s were about Vietnam. And I get that why it happened at the time, but I also get why 40 years later you have to change it because these characters don't make sense in terms of having been veterans. I get it. Yeah. And the books of the 50s, it's interesting because the books of the 70s and 80s that are written by these guys who were affected by it or went there, you know, they were working it out. Whereas in, in the fifties, the guys who had been to world war two were like, fuck it. Westerns. Right. Like they didn't want to deal with it. And I think that that's interesting. Well, it's also those, the difference between the, uh, we're not going to go on a tangent, but the difference, I think between what the war meant, world war yes. II meant something differently than Vietnam did to the populace. In that same way, one thing that does always seem to work, certainly in Marvel is the case is world war two gets to be world war two. Right. And they, they rejigger the history depending on what it is they need to do. And by the way, the World War II is always the European War. It is yeah. never the, the, the Pacific War in comics. You know, they didn't send Steve Rogers out there. We're not going to talk about it. Not that it's any less black and white, but it's much messier. It's messier in the context of today. Only in what happened. Like, there's no uh, question about why that war was fought. No, no, not at all. But also, like, in the context of, like, it's really easy to vilify the Nazis. Sure. It's different to be like, oh, the power structure in Japan. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, that's a, no, that's a like, longer conversation. But Exactly. It, it, that is the point. They were just as brutal as the Nazis were in many ways. 
I know, but like the question of why it happened or what it's easy to point to the Nazis and go, these people took over, brainwashed a bunch of people, had whatever. Japan's way more complicated. And then what happens is very different. It's not as pretty. And I don't mean pretty in the sense, but it just it doesn't wrap up in a comic book superhero story standpoint. So they they leave it alone. You know, it is interesting that, you know, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot is that Steve Rogers, and this is a total tangent that we will not go on to for too long, but Steve Rogers goes in the ice in World War II and he's pulled out in the 60s, right? And it's not as much of a shock when... (laughs) He goes in the new Marvel timeline in, in the 40s and is pulled out, you know, whatever, in 2000 and whatever. I mean, that would be like going to an alien culture as the opposed 40s to... 40s and the 60s is not that crazy, relatively speaking. Right. Now you're People coming, you know... Clothes, you know, whatever. But the difference between coming out and your sweetheart from the 40s is now maybe in her, in her early 40s. And then you fall in love with her niece. Not okay. As opposed to... You know, your sweetheart from the 1940s is now an elderly woman. You know, it's just that the time difference and the cultural difference and the technological difference and everything. I mean, Steve Rogers would have lost his goddamn mind if he actually came out into now versus... The movie version is a better story. In a strictly story standpoint, he's coming back into a different world. Everyone he knows is not quite dead. Right. In fact, if it was 10 years later, it doesn't work as well because everyone he knows is dead. Right. You know, but whenever the the movie was 2010, 11, whatever, it kind of works that there's some people around, they're very old. So there's a link to his past and he's older than that and he's in a completely, but it's so alien now. Like everything is different. We don't have flying cars, although you do in that world, but we may as well. You know, like the internet and and, and technology replaced the flying cars with a different thing that is average as impactful, if not tacitly so. We're totally off of John's question, but there's no like black and white answer. The war thing is dumb, but it's a necessary dumb. What do you think about using like a Kandak as a stand-in for all Middle Eastern countries? Uh, you know, it's a way to not piss anybody off. But I think that that matters more than it used to. Yeah. Because of the internet, because of the way the business works, like you can know people who are from those countries and to, to paint them all as evil is harder now than it used to. You know, like it's pretty easy for us to go, man, Iran is a terrible place. We know Iranian people. Or people of Iranian distraction and like I, right. There's a difference between the government being terrible and the people being terrible. Right, but you know, in a way, the old comics would would demonize a place and an entire people. Yeah. That was the way it, it used to be done. It's the way the dad did it. It was unfortunate. I think ultimately using these countries is better because you can have things happen. You can blow up conduct and not be like, right. oh, we blew up, we blew up Iraq. Things like the war that was so important to society and the people who are making the comics is more challenging, but I get why they have to. Well, two, what's, what's cool is that you can introduce superheroes into world war two. And as long as the other side has their superheroes too, you're good to go. Right. And also you can have the the heroes who are fighting the war are basically immortal, like cap and Namor and human torch, you know, Mm -hmm. they could have fought in the forties and it still makes sense as opposed to Frank Castle, not being in the seventies running around. Mm -hmm. New York with a machine gun. I think maybe that's why the Justice Society is all confusing now because you can't really have them in World War II and still be active. They're just too old. That's why they keep running into time portals yeah. and things. And, and I'm it, fine and, with that. Keep them around however you need to. Yeah. Whatever makes sense, let's spend time around that big circular table. Chino from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If Marvel and DC decided to stop printing new books or just stop printing books, would I care? I have a ton of unread older comics that I would enjoy just the same. It also seems that the quality and lack of soap opera structure has made newer books seem more compartmentalized in sharp contrast to older books. 
Also, having moved numerous boxes of comics that I haven't read and maybe will never completely read, is it worth it to keep physical media? Even as a Luddite towards digital reading, I find that idea more appealing. It would also let me try other books, albeit with no potential return on investment. Am I the only one having this long-term collector existential examination? Can I say, I recognize what he's asking here. Mm-hmm. Chino's going through a change in his adult life, and it's... it's Chino, all, have a seat. What does all Let's this talk. mean? You're going through some changes. Why am I still doing this? Does this bring me any joy other than forward momentum? That's kind of what you're asking. Like, why am I still doing this? Where do I get my joy from it? Right. We've all been through it. Connor got rid of many, many, many boxes of comics. I would get rid of many boxes of I comics. I got rid of about 29 long boxes, yeah. But they're downstairs and they're heavy. <laughs> That's why I haven't gotten rid of my... This is literally the answer. Is every time I look at them, I go... I'm going to feel real bad for several days after I take those out of there. And so they stay. What you do is you wait about 10 years and then you've got teenagers. They move the boxes for you. Uh, Well, that works for most people. We'll see how that works with me. At least one of them moves them for you. He'll be strapping. Oh, he could do it now. He's very strong. He just has no interest. Right. But yeah, you'll have to force him. You want me to pay for college? You move these boxes. (laughs) If you don't have neurotypical kids, all those things go out the window. (laughs) There's no expectations. You can't know. I think your question makes sense. Do they need to keep making comics? And I think to some people, no, that wouldn't matter. It would be rough for us. But I also think, and you use the word contrast in here, actually, the contrast of the things that are coming out now serve to strengthen and highlight the things that are enjoyable about comics that came out before. If you look at comics as an ongoing living thing, then you can enjoy that progression and have it enlighten and lift up things about the old books that aren't happening anymore. If not for new things coming out, you might not appreciate the old things in the same way and vice versa. So the answer to the first question is, would you care? I don't know. You know, only you can answer that question. True. I can't answer that for you. Is it worth to keep physical media? I keep physical media. I think it is. It depends on what you want to do. I mean, I have a ton of physical books. I keep Blu-rays. I have vinyl records. I think there's a lot of benefit to non-physical media, but, you know, things go away. Licenses change. I also think that collectors, which is, you know, people who read comics tend to have that gene. There's a difference between keeping everything and keeping some of the things. I don't think it makes sense to keep everything. No, I just read a book that I hated. I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to give it away. And you can look through your books. I've done this before and go, I enjoyed this. I'm never going to look at it again. I never need it again. I donated to the library. Like, you don't have to keep everything. Keep what's important to you. When I started buying records, my policy is like, don't get a record to complete a collect. Only get a record that you definitely want to listen to again that is important to you. That like... So I like I can see a big wall of somebody's records, like tons. I'm I'm moving my arms around, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like a huge. And I think it's kind of impressive. You'll never listen to all those. You won't. And I don't want to own things that I don't use. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. I mean, everyone's what they want. I think is different. I'm not I'm not typical. Some people don't want any physical media. That's totally fine. Some people want all physical media. That's totally fine. It all depends on what you want. And first of all, there's no return on investment for any of this stuff. So no, other than the the random one-off issue that goes mm-hmm. viral and is worth money for about a week. There's no collecting comics unless you're buying old actual artifacts of comics. There's no actual money to be made on these. So the, take the financial aspect out of it totally. And the money that you're talking about is sort of inconsequential if you're living, an adult living a full-time job life. It's like, okay, 
I could make 200 bucks selling this and it's nice, but it's not going to make a difference and it's kind of a hassle. Well, that's less than you spent on comics the last couple of months. Exactly. Exactly. So only you can answer the question whether it's worth for you, whether you'd care. There's no return on investment for any of this stuff. If you just want to read it, you might as well read digitally if that's something you're leaning towards. And I think you're definitely not the only longtime collector having. Longtime collectors always have this existential examination. That's something that's always been going on. I think you need to look at it and see, is this stuff make me happy or does this stuff feel like a burden and it sounds like you were getting to the point where you look around and you said this stuff's starting to feel like a little bit of a burden and you should adjust based on that just adjust and it often happens depending on how many times you've moved oh god yeah I'm never like, I, we, there's been a lot of discussion on the patron discord about that like i've moved four times and I'm, i don't want these books anymore i totally understand that <laughs> yeah but at the end of the day life is short and life is hard and whatever makes you happy is what you should do as long Agreed. as it doesn't hurt anybody else yeah if it makes you happy to have all the comics on your wall, if it makes you happy to look at them, keep them. If it doesn't make you happy anymore, then then give them to somebody who might. That was my whole thing with the single issues that I gave away. It was like I like them. When I looked at them, they made me happy. But they also were they were in New York, and I was never going to bring them over to L.A. And they were sitting in a storage unit, and I was just paying for that, and I wasn't ever looking at them anymore. And I thought and no one was like no one was. Yeah, they could bring joy to somebody. And I thought these comics could make someone else happy every day, and so I gave them away because. You know, they weren't going to benefit me any, so might as well have some benefit somebody else. It's tough. It's tough. Let's end on one final question from Mashad B. Is Xavier a jerk just because he's a jerk, or is he one because all mutants would have been murdered years ago if he had been nicer? And I don't feel qualified to answer this because I don't really understand where Xavier's at right now other than he has a big dumb hat. I don't think he is a jerk. I don't know. It's a play play on the Professor Xavier's a jerk panel from – the 80s, I guess. But that and, was a petulant teenager. Right. That was a petulant te- teenager calling her parental figure a jerk, which every petulant teenager does, not understanding where their parental figure is coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a jerk at all. I mean, he's a civil rights leader. Yeah. He's an activist and a civil rights leader is what he is. Now, has he made hard decisions? Sure. Has he been a hard ass? Sure. Has he done things that are unpopular in the name of leadership? Absolutely. But as you as I think as Rashad said... He's doing it in the service of the mutants, of mutant kind. You read some of the ongoing X-Men books, sure. right? I read uh, X-Men and Immortal X-Men. I read two of them. Do you have books. a – like he's not really the leader anymore. He's – Well, there's a council. Right, but there's, like he... The thing is there is a council, but he is in charge. Is he? That's, that's my question. He's in charge. Okay. There's a whole council and they all have a vote, but he's in charge. Nothing's going to happen that he doesn't want to happen. But, well, I haven't read X-Men in a long time, but in the books that I've read – I don't know. He's kind of been all over the place, and like, yeah. I mean, he's not been great for the. I mean, that dumb yeah, helmet that's is dumb, point. and that's that's. And not even just the look of him. Like, I just I can't pin him down anymore. He was the head of the school for a while. That made sense. Sense. He was, you know, Mister Belding. <laughs> You're right. Well, I say, yeah, he's he's still in charge. The story doesn't run through him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Some some of the storylines have, but for the most part. The X-Men books haven't been running through him, so he has. He's a spiritual been mentor to some of the characters, and that's kind of it. He's more involved in some things than others, some books than others. But for the most part, like, he doesn't ever appear in the X-Men comic, the main one, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a different X-Men world. Yes. But I don't think he's a jerk. Don't think so. Teenage Kitty Pride thought he was a jerk. Yeah. Have your kids ever called you a jerk? Or, or some so. ever equivalent of jerk? Nah, I'm not at that point yet. Not yet. They're not really teenage. The one's about to be, but... One's about, but they're not yet. They're yeah. about to be. Yeah. The hormones haven't kicked in yet. They still think mm-hmm. you're cool. The little one still likes me a lot. Exactly. The big one has definitely rolled his eyes at me. Sure. He's recognized the things that are annoying about me. <laughs> what? Which makes my wife very happy. 
<laughs> you know, like you don't have to tell us what you think, Dad. You're just not. <laughs> we don't care about the battle of a, a little big top. Round top. Sorry. Round top. <laughs> I, was, I mixed up round top and big horn. Chamberlain had a pincer maneuver, right? And so he brought... <laughs> exactly. That's when the eye roll happens. I'm not even making that up. That's an actual thing. <laughs> Every once in a while, one of them will ask a question about history or culture or something like that. And Lindsay will be like, I'm not really sure. Are you sure you want to ask your dad, though? <laughs> My younger son was like, why did they build the Eiffel Tower? And I was like, well, son... <laughs> At the turn of the century, people were very invested with doing the biggest and the best things so they could show off. And, okay. Like, they're gone. <laughs> you should have just said it was to ward off vampires. Yep. The vampires coming from the east. <laughs> Contact at ifanboy.com. Thanks for Rashad and Chino and John. And a bunch of people wrote in this week knowing this was the final week of emails for this week. As we talked about before, we will now be putting our 2022 emails into bankruptcy, meaning we're going to take them all and dump them in a file and start with a fresh new inbox. So... If you want to get your email on the first show of the year, let them rip. Let them rip. Now, once I move them over, then we will be set to go. I'm not giving you a date in which it happens. I'm just saying starting right this moment, our email is in bankruptcy and you can start over now. So anything you send in will be in consideration for next year's show. So thank you very much. All the people who wrote in. Sorry if you didn't get your email answered in the show. And occasionally we'll write back to people when the answer is quick. But uh, if you didn't get answered, we apologize. But you can write in again. That's the beauty of it. Thank you very much. Uh, let's wrap up this show and wrap up this year. Out now, right behind this show, we mentioned a few times, the Namor Visionaries by John Byrne Volume 1 Booksplode podcast is right behind this show. Incredibly fun. Fun to talk about 80s Marvel. I'm um, sorry, 90s Marvel. Well, I guess technically still, it was still kind of 80s Marvel. Actually, we did talk about that on the show. John Byrne Comics, Namor, good stuff. You can check that out. A little further behind that is our Battle of the Super Sons animated review. Uh, of the latest DC Universe animated original film. You can find the Animation Brain Trust discussion back in the feed as well. We did a bunch of uh, special edition shows this year. There's a bunch back in the feed. You can find them all there. Most weeks. And here is your th the end of your holiday schedule. This is our final pick of the week of the year. Next week, next Sunday, you're going to have our traditional all-media year-end roundup show that closes out the year. It is done. It's in the can. It's in the system. It's uploaded. It's ready to go. We finished. It's slightly longer than last year's episode, but not the longest show we've ever done. And it's fun. And so you can find that next Sunday. And that will be there until January 8th, in which the next Pick of the Week show, 860, will come out. The first show of 2023. And so we can go on a little break now. A little holiday break for Josh to spend some time with his kids. He really wants to give them some quality eye-rolling time. The, the question here for Connor and I is, will we end up keeping up with our comics? Or will the first week of January be a hellish nightmare? I'm going to try to. Well, of course we're going to try. But here's the thing. like, There's no reflection on our enjoyment of comics or the show or anything. It's just, oh. you know, we're taking a break. So I don't tend to read them every week like I do for the show, like regularly. I tend to read them in bunches. Like, oh, I've got some time. Let me look, check out some of these comics that have come out. I, I mean, I'm, I'm downloading them all and I've got them all ready to go. I just don't necessarily read them every Wednesday like I do when we're not on break. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hey, listen, iFanboy.com is our website. Do people even go to websites anymore? Like, is that a thing? I can't believe I'm saying that. It's all apps now, Josh. 
Yeah, it's all apps. We don't have an app. We're not going to have an app. I'll just tell you right now. But if you go over there, you will find a library like archive of all of the stuff that we've done, all the comic book podcasts and writing. It wasn't just us. There were other folks that were working for us for a while and and contributing. You can go to facebook.com slash iFanboy, at iFanboy on Twitter or at iFanboyComics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Connor, not me because I'm a jerk, does panels of the week most of the time when he can, when there's something good. Yeah, not every week. Nope. Most weeks. You can follow Connor and I individually at CS Kilpatrick and Jay Flanagan on Instagram. There is a YouTube page, youtube.com slash iFanboy. It made sense, right? We have all the old video shows that we did back when that was our real job. Uh, and we post mm. this show every week. Subscribe to it. Don't. Whatever. It's just it's there for you. It's an archive. It's a library. It's the past. And hopefully there's something valuable in it for somebody at some point like Connor's comic book issues. If you enjoyed the show anytime throughout the year, Consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's not all Apple. Apple's about, it used to be about 70% of how people listen to the show. Now I think it's down to 30%, but it's still the number one way people listen to the show. If you listen on Spotify, if you listen on any podcast aggregator, consider leaving a review, not just for this show, but for any show you listen to. It really helps them. It helps the algorithm. It's a great way to support your favorite show. Even not even your favorite show, just a show you enjoy. So thank you if you have done that. Thank you if you consider doing it. We appreciate that. Even better than that, to tell your your friends, your family. It, word of mouth is great. And even also, uh, we didn't get to mention the show because it's long, but you know, become a patron at patreon.com slash ifanboy or ifanboy.threadless.com for t-shirts. Like any of those ways you help support the show, we do appreciate that all throughout the year. Thank you very much as we head to our break. And that is it. We're done. Well, we're not done. We have one more show coming out for you. But to the people listening, we're not done. For right. You and I, we are, because you worked ahead. It's reverse. Right. Yes. The actual last show is not the last show that we recorded. This is the last show we're recording. So we're actually done at this moment. Even though next right. week you'll hear us again, and then that show will also say we're done. We're done twice. Connor, stop. That is how time is a flat circle. Stop. If I was my kid right now, you know what face <laughs> I'd be making? <laughs> Hey, that was fun. I enjoyed this year, Josh. I enjoyed talking to you about comics. I enjoyed talking with Ryan about comics. I enjoyed talking with Jim about comics. I enjoyed it all. The show was the only consistent source <laughs> of joy outside of, you know, like my, my kids and my wife. But they went through a lot, and uh, I certainly went through a lot. But this is the uh, this is the island of, of I was going to say sanity, but that's not quite right. But uh, it's, it's the constant. Uh, it's always, always fun. I've never, and I, we said this before, I've never walked away from recording this show in a bad mood, ever. Oh my God, I nearly forgot something I meant to do. I'm so glad you, you went on for a second and reminded me of it. I was going to congratulate you, Josh. Were you? I meant to do it at the top of the show, I forgot. I meant to do it at the picks of the week, I forgot. Congratulations. And do you know why I'm congratulating you? I don't you? know, I feel like I'm about to get hit in the face. This year uh -huh. is the first year in 17 years of doing this show. 17 years. Other than the very first year, which doesn't really count because it's only a couple of months, this is the first full calendar year that you did not miss an episode. You're kidding me. Not kidding. This is the first time you've never missed a show. Wow. Normally, what? you take a week off like on your birthday or your wife's birthday or something happens. This year, you did not miss a single episode. Wow. I came in every day. Lumberg's got nothing on me. You're the Iron Man. You're the Iron Horse of 2022. There you go. You were the constant. You did not miss a single pick of the week episode. I feel really good about that. <laughs> yeah. so Anyways, I'm off for a while. <laughs> anyway, Josh will be back in June. <laughs> so until next year, we look forward to talking to you and reading more comics. And we'll be back in 2023. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. See you next year. Bye.